0: Friends, once again, it's good to be with you. My name is Mitchell. I'm the pastor here, and we are moving uh, towards Bethlehem together, towards the Christmas morning that I think we all are desperately wanting uh, and needing in our life. We are in the midst of Advent. In fact, today, begins that Advent journey. So if you're a guest, we are once again delighted that you're here worshiping with us, and we hope you continue to worship with us this Advent season. For those uh, that do know me, though, that that aren't guests, I I don't think this will come as a surprise. I wasn't the best student when it came to uh, my math classes, or my science classes. Uh, rather, I, I really wasn't good at math in high school or in college, and, and fairly um, regularly was um, hesitant to get my work done on time. Um, I never understood the my peers, the, those kids in school who said, I love math, like, I can't wait to go to math class. That was not Me And so when I went off to college, uh, Hendricks College, a small school in Arkansas, um, it was a liberal arts school. And uh, they prided themselves in making sure that they put out well-rounded graduates to enter into the world. Now, we never really received a practical degree. Most of us had to go on to get a master's. But the idea was, their motto was, unto the whole person. So we had to take all sorts of classes at this small liberal art school. I had to take a math class, I had to take a, a biology class, I had to take a psychology class, I had to take a physics class. My math class was mathematics and contemporary issues, also dubbed math for English majors, where we only wrote papers. I don't know how that classified as math, but my physics class, my senior year, spring semester of my senior year, was astronomy. It was awesome. I spent an entire semester, really, with friends traveling out uh, outside of town to a state park called Toad Suck Park. You should Wikipedia that one. And depending on who our faculty supervisor was, we had a variety of different types of drinks that we brought with us. And we spent two hours, twice a week, for an entire semester looking up at the night sky. There is something amazing about that whole process of setting up a telescope, of getting it in position, of of focusing the lens and making sure that everything is just right. Um, And we would then allow our eyes to become adjusted and begin to try to make sense of the chaos that is the night sky. The night sky, if you spend any amount of time staring at it, is in fact difficult to solve. It's difficult to orient yourself in the midst of the celestial bodies and stars that are above you. But slowly, as I learned, because I paid attention my senior year, slowly, over time, if you spend enough time staring into the darkness, you can begin to see patterns And in fact, the stars and planets, they all become rather predictable. You can begin to make sense of what you are seeing. And in the midst of darkness, complete darkness, if you spend enough time there, wandering and staring and pondering, the heavens can actually become rather relatable. Now, the flip side of that is if you let your mind wander too much, you know i don't know if you're like me but if i stare at the night sky for too long i can feel almost overwhelmed by how small and seemingly insignificant right i am in the midst of the grand grandiosity of the cosmos The reality of it all, the weight of it all, the magnitude of it all, it can actually overrun us, and it becomes so overwhelming, it almost produces anxiety (laughs) if we allow ourselves to go there. And here's the kind of catch of the whole thing. The darker it is, the easier it is for us to see. The darker the night sky is, and the more darkness that we are gazing up into the night sky, the more dark it is, the easier it is for us to see. That is an impossible kind of feeling to manufacture, this feeling of being both vulnerable and also being able to see really well. It's almost something that is unique to stargazing in the middle of nowhere. Our Advent series is trying to play off of this theme, that we can indeed experience joy, true joy in the midst of darkness. The entire series for the next several weeks is designed with this in mind, that we, as a people of faith, we can have a true notion of the divine, a true understanding of the holy, a true experience with God And often the best place for us to have these experiences, these moments, is found in some of the darkest of places, some of the most unlikely of places, and even some of the most unwelcomed events in our own life. And then when we have these moments, when we have this opportunity with God, we can begin To make sense of what joy truly is. True joy. Joy that is experienced and harnessed and cultivated to allow us to continue to put one foot in front of the other in the midst of the dark, dark world we live in. We can have joy in our life regardless of what's happening around us. Our gospel reading for today actually helps us make sense of this. It's found in the second chapter of Matthew, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews, for we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened in all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. When Herod secretly There ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where their child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. May we find the opportunity this season to be overwhelmed with joy. Amen. So there's no doubt that it's hard to kind of parse out to properly define, I think, the word joy especially in the midst of our western world for us english speakers our language isn't really that romantic right it kind of fails us when we are trying to describe a feeling with uh, precision, right? It's hard to describe the word love because we can apply it to so many things. The same can be said about happiness, and of course the same can be said about joy. Uh, Joy is hard to define, and it's then often difficult to articulate So before we talk about finding this joy in the darkness, I think it will be important for us to have a good working definition of the word joy. Um, Joy is not happiness. I think we can all agree to that. I think we've probably all heard that. Joy is not happiness, right? Happiness is more of a fleeting emotion. Often in maybe overly simplistic terms, happiness is tied to context, right? Feeling good when everything is going right. On the flip side, in these overly simplistic terms, right, joy is feeling good uh, when everything is going right or everything sucks. It doesn't matter, right? We still feel good because Jesus lives in our heart. But this often used definition of happiness and joy, uh, it leaves me really unsatisfied. Uh, Joy isn't just the more reliable, eternal version of happiness. I think joy is something radically different. And it's that thing, that totally different thing that I think we need right now in the midst of this year. I've been drawn to this other definition of joy that has really given me some life over the past few weeks. My friend Morgan Guyton has been using this definition in some of his writing, and he pointed me to two Canadian anarchists, of all folks, uh, in a book called Joyful Militancy, and they do an incredible job of defining both happiness and joy, and it's the working definitions of these two words that I'm going to use in my preaching for the next few weeks. Here's how they define happiness happiness is seen as a duty, and happiness is a disorder, right? or seen as a disorder. Marketing firms increasingly sell happy experiences instead of products. Happiness is a relaxing vacation on the beach, an intense night at the bar, a satisfying drink on a hot day, or the contentment and security of retirement. We are encouraged to base our lives on this search for happiness, promise pleasure, bliss, fulfillment, arousal, exhilaration, or contentment, depending on our taste and our budget. Joy, though, is something completely and utterly other. Here's how they define it. A joyful process of transformation might involve happiness, but it tends to entail a whole range of feelings at once, it might feel overwhelming or painful or dramatic and world shaking or subtle and uncanny. Joy rarely feels comfortable or easy because it transforms and reorients people and relationships. Rather than the desire to exploit, control, and direct others, it is resonant with emergent and collective capacities to do things, to make things, to undo painful habits, and nurture enabling ways of being together. Joy is not an emotion at all, but an increase in one's power to affect and be affected. It is the capacity... Right? Joy is the capacity to do more and feel more. Joy, then, is not an emotion at all, but a recognition in one's power, in one's agency to live deeper and more meaningful, fulfilled lives. Happiness says it's going to be okay. Joy says, as Frederick Bigner reminds us, terrible and beautiful things will happen. Do not be afraid. Happiness says, I deserve this. Joy says, they need this and I'll give it to them. Happiness says, buy it. Joy says, make it. Happiness says, don't cry. Joy weeps. Joy is a deeper way of living and engaging with our world. Unfortunately for us, most often we talk about joy in the midst of this season. And so paired with the new stockings that we're going to buy this year or some wrapping paper is the word joy written out in some ugly font or script screen printed on Christmas pillows. Peace and love and joy and hope. Christmas buzzwords we often relate to through holiday napkins. But we must kind of put that aside... And I think this year is going to help us do that because this year in the midst of what we've been through this year, we need something more than good holiday napkins and brand new Christmas pillows. This year has carried with it too much pain. We are too exhausted. We have been too challenged. We are filled with too much anxiety. And so the good news, friends, joy is not for sale this year, but joy is knowable for us in the midst of this year. We will use familiar Christmas text through this Advent season to help us reimagine joy in the midst of the gospel story And in this reimagining, we will also learn to look for moments of joy being birthed among us in the midst of darkness, like the wise men. We are being sent on a journey to encounter once again the incarnation, the birthing of God's love in the midst of this world. And while we can see, like Herod does, the opposing forces marching toward one another, good and evil, right? This dichotomy of divine and human, of light and darkness, This year, I'm asking us to not see the darkness as a foe, but rather as a midwife. It is in the midst of darkness that we find joy. The wise men actually understood this fairly quickly because they were in the midst of a very kind of complicated task. In Matthew, we read that they have embarked on a long journey, right? We kind of pick up in the second chapter, and they have already arrived in Jerusalem, but the journey that they would have been on would have taken them several weeks, if not months, right? So they have been on this long journey. Why? All because they had the um, wherewithal to stare up into the sky and ponder what they were seeing, a celestial experience. And so they leave a fixed location with all of their probably fancy telescopes and maps that make sense of the night sky from their location. And they that static position, they take everything and they begin to journey on in this caravan, right? And the task of stargazing while moving becomes incredibly more difficult. Adding a certain amount of difficulty, the whole astronomy thing is riding day after day after day towards something that you don't even know what it means, right? And they understood just how awful Herod was. At least that becomes rather evident when they arrive in Jerusalem to tell him about what they've been witnessing in the night sky. Whether it was intentional, I don't think it was, right? Somehow they bumped into the on switch, right? Of starting the self-preservation machine, the engine, right? Of self-preservation within the empire. Their mere existence showing up in Jerusalem triggers not only Herod, but the entire political apparatus. And all of a sudden, in the midst of all of this, Herod wakes up. It's also important to recognize that they don't fit in. They're not part of a political uh, elite group, right? They don't have any social status in uh, Jerusalem, they are Gentiles they are gentiles from a foreign land and yet they have more awareness more curiosity more wonder than all of those who have who had should have been looking into the night sky right for that star it took three wise men magi astronomers right it took these three Gentiles uh, far, from far away to point out what should have been evident to God's own people right above their heads. Herod is too consumed with power, too consumed with survival, too consumed with safety, that he is unable to see or find God's great emergence into this world. It took pagans from the East to truly illuminate the sky for folks too preoccupied with their own stuff, right? That one, that one, that point hits home for us. We can become so preoccupied with our own stuff that we can't even see God in the midst of the darkness, The text actually tells us that their arrival and they're pointing out what is happening. All of Jerusalem is frightened. It's not just Herod. Everyone kind of loses it. A reminder that God indeed works in mysterious ways. Ways far broader, far richer, far deeper than our pursuit of happiness. And after the wise men quote, quote the ruling religious right uh, group's own prophets, right? the wise men quote Jewish prophets to Herod and the religious elite, they essentially awaken or uh, illuminate what is happening in the midst of Jerusalem and in Bethlehem. They are then given a task a task with a clear motive, help Herod retain power. And so they become involved, whether they like it or not, into this divine conspiracy. They're sent out to locate Jesus and his family. The darkness in this story gets a little darker. The stakes get a little higher Locating Jesus in the midst of this becomes a little more urgent. This stargazing, where's Waldo, right, all fun and games, this odd geocaching journey that the wise men have been on moves quickly and rather deeply into something entirely different. The next moves that they make are moves with consequences, Life and death consequences. And in some strange way, it feels like so does our life right now. This year, this season, these holidays, it all feels a little heavier than normal, a little harder, a little more vulnerable But like these woke pagans, these Gentiles from the east, what happens when they finally arrive at their destination changes everything. And we desperately want that same thing to occur in our life. Because when the wise men show up, when they finally see the star and where it is stopped in the sky, they realize that they have come into the presence of the divine. They know that they had found Jesus. Their journey, at least this leg of their journey, was over they finally encountered the Messiah. And the text tells us, in verse 10, they were overwhelmed with joy. Not happiness, not contentment, not safety or security. Text doesn't tell us that they were relieved because they were at the end of their journey, but the text does tell us they were overwhelmed with joy. And it is this joy that gives them all the power and all the agency to go on and succeed at doing hard and costly things later on in the gospel story. We'll talk more about that at Epiphany. So my prayer and my hope for us this Advent season is that we may be stirred in the same measure. In the midst of the darkness, may our, wander, our wonder bring us to this own, our own encounter with Christ, an encounter that we so need and so yearn for, we, an encounter that we believe is so timely this Christmas season. May we struggle in the midst of the darkness that we too can become overwhelmed with joy this Advent.